Let us pray. Our most gracious and almighty Father, once more we thank you that we can gather. And we pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds as we hear your word and that we would be drawn nearer to you. That we would be drawn near by your spirit as you have already drawn near to us. Help us, O Lord, to rejoice in the greatness of your salvation and in the ways that you have worked throughout history to bring to us your Holy Spirit. All of these things we do ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you hadn't guessed, it's Pentecost. The glorious day of Pentecost. In some ways, the height of salvation being poured upon the church. Jesus has ascended 10 days prior to this. He has been raised from the dead 50 days before this. The word Pentecost simply means 50th. It just means 50th. It means the 50th day after something. And so that's all that the word Pentecost means. It's not some special Greek meaning behind it. It's just simply 50. To point to us that it's been 50 days since a prior event. An event that God chose to happen on a particular day. Which brings us to the 50th day after Pentecost. Also called the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. In Hebrew. And it's the day that the Hebrews would come together in Jerusalem and bring a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord of grain, of wheat in particular. But why is it that God pours out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? As one commentator said, he, he has 365 days a year and occasionally an extra day. Why couldn't he have picked one of those other days? Why this particular day of Pentecost? Why not some other random day? Why not pour the Holy Spirit out immediately when Jesus ascended? Why not then? Why wait until Pentecost? Hopefully I can help answer some of that question and build out of that to help us to see what Pentecost is really about. To let us see what God is doing on this day with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Not only for His church before us, but for us today. As I said, this Feast of Pentecost was the festival of the first fruits of wheat. And as we dig into that reality, hopefully we'll understand this why of Pentecost. And we'll see that Pentecost is in fact the great jubilee of the church. Because at Pentecost, God gives the first fruits of salvation to His people by giving to us His Holy Spirit. Pentecost becomes the great jubilee because God is giving the first fruits of salvation to his people. And so first that what I want us to realize is when it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place there in Acts chapter two, verse one. When it says that Pentecost arrived, there's another way that could be translated. It could be translated as fulfilled. The Greek behind it is often translated that way. In fact, Luke used it over in chapter nine of his gospel to talk about the time being fulfilled and Jesus beginning to set His face toward Jerusalem. And so here, likewise, I think that we could use that word fulfilled to remind us that this was a special event, this was a planned event, that this particular Pentecost and Pentecost in general was something that God was fulfilling based on what He had given to the Jews in the past. As I said, it's the beginning of the grain harvest for the Israelites. It commenced the beginning 
Oh, whoops. It's the beginning of the grain harvest, which starts at Passover, and this is the beginning of the wheat harvest at Pentecost. Passover saw the barley beginning to be reaped and the beginning to be harvested as they were sacrificing the lambs and preparing the celebration of the Passover with unleavened bread. And then 50 days would go by, and then the wheat harvest would begin. And God commanded them in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai to celebrate this, to observe this moment. It was focused on bringing that offering of wheat to the tabernacle and later to the temple to mark that beginning of a new season, a new life for the church, for the people of Israel. Passover has happened and now Pentecost is here and they bring a harvest of wheat to the the temple. But something about that that's unique is that God commanded this at Sinai. What were the Israelites going to be doing ultimately for the next 40 years? But wandering in the desert. They would spend time going from Sinai up to the very borders of the promised land where they would rebel and turn away from the Lord. And then he would make them wander for 40 years. And so they couldn't observe Pentecost. For over 40 years, they were unable to observe Pentecost because they were wandering. They couldn't plant wheat and harvest it every year. And so this became a feast that was delayed, that was held back until they had entered into the promised land and laid hold of it and settled in it. And so they waited and waited for Pentecost to be fulfilled in their lives to bring that offering before the Lord that he had commanded. Much like the apostles had to wait there in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. A time of waiting, a time of preparation. And so I keep talking about there being an offering. What was the offering that the Israelites would bring to their, to their God, to Yahweh, our God? Leviticus 23 tells us that it was two loaves of bread made with yeast. It includes yeast in it. Usually whenever we think of bread in the Old Testament, my mind immediately jumps to one of two places. To the Passover bread, unleavened bread, or to the show bread in the temple. But more often than not, it's primarily to that unleavened bread. And here we have the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, bringing bread to be offered to the Lord. And it is made with yeast. And that build up to Passover, all the yeast is removed from the Israelites' home and they eat only unleavened bread. But then they bring the yeast back and they make bread for the Lord with yeast in it and offer it to Him. There's a sense in which that's a picture of the old being cleaned out and replaced with new leaven. Think about how we always think about yeast, how Jesus talks about it, how Paul talks about it. That yeast is pernicious in its nature. A little bit of yeast will leaven a whole loaf of bread. It doesn't take much to cause the bread to rise and to be turned into thick, soft bread. Likewise, a little bit of sin will make one wholly sinful. But what we get messed up in is we always think about yeast as being a representation of sin when it's not. It just depends on the context. When it comes to Passover, it does picture sin. It pictures the cleaning away and the casting away of sin as the Israelites go through and throw out the old yeast and clean their houses. But then at Pentecost, it becomes a picture of new life. It becomes a picture of something new that the Lord is doing in their lives, that He is working 
to make them into the kind of people He wants us to be, that He wants them to be. And likewise, even Jesus uses yeast positively when He tells that parable of the kingdom, when He says that it's like leaven that a woman takes and hides in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Yeast is pernicious. It spreads out. A little bit will go a long way, but the question is always, what kind of yeast are we talking about here? In one case, it's a yeast that represents sin, that pictures sin, that symbolizes it. And in another case, it pictures the spreading of the kingdom. It pictures the work of God in the midst of Israel. And that's what's happening there as the Israelites bring their two loaves of yeast bread. It's a picture of a new offering unto the Lord. A new work that is occurring there as they bring that bread into the presence of God. And now I'm going to add one more layer to the meaning of Pentecost for us before we really dig into some of our text. That right there at the beginning of the first century, it seems that the Jews were beginning to associate Pentecost with the giving of the law at Sinai. Exodus 19 says that in the third month, the Israelites came to Mount Sinai. And many commentators and rabbis and teachers were beginning to reflect and see that that third month would be when Pentecost would occur. And so they supposed that more than likely on that, in that third month, at that 50th day since the leaving of Egypt, God came down on the mountain of Sinai with fire and thunderings and clouds and wind and smoke and declared His covenant to the people of Israel. It became that point where God made the people of Israel His people and where He became their God. Of course, his bringing them out of Egypt was definitely a step in that direction. But here, God makes his full-on commitment to the people of Israel to say that I will be your God and you will be my people because I brought you out of Egypt. And here is my covenant for you. God came down on that mountain and the people began to associate that coming down on the mountain with Pentecost, with the Feast of Weeks, with that 50th day after Passover. And so it became for the people the day that God made Himself the God of Israel as a nation. And the day that He commanded them to bring to Him the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So I think we're beginning to see a little bit of one aspect. Some aspect of why Jesus chose that particular day. That as the people associated it with the coming down of God on Mount Sinai. And the bringing forth of new yeast in the bread. That Jesus chooses to pour out His Spirit upon His apostles to give to them a new jubilee of new salvation. And so what happened while the the apostles were gathered together in one place? Verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The sound like a wind and tongues of fire connect us deeply into the Old Testament. Think of wind and how often we hear about wind in the Old Testament connected with the rebuke of Yahweh's breath. In 2 Samuel 22, Yahweh's rebuke is a blast of breath from His nostrils. The Lord says in Ezekiel 13 that He will make a stormy wind break out in His wrath. In Exodus 15, 8, after the Israelites have crossed through the Red Sea, Moses in his song says, At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. And so the breath of God is seen as God's presence. 
His coming to bring, on one hand, judgment and rebuke, but on another hand, to bring salvation and redemption to His people as He did at the waters of the Red Sea as He pushed them back with His very breath, His very Spirit, His very wind coming down. And so the Spirit comes as a mighty wind blowing in the midst of the apostles here in this house where they are gathered. He blows amongst them to bring salvation and renewal because God has judged sin now. Judgment has occurred for sin in the world through Jesus. And with that judgment comes the Spirit to bring salvation. The wind of Yahweh pours out upon His disciples, upon His apostles. And in that wind filling the house, that mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire appear and are divided amongst them. Tongues as of fire, I should say, as our text says. It's not just literal fiery tongues, but it's tongues that appear as fire. And it rests on each of them. And they become filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that they begin speaking in various languages and different tongues. And of course, this isn't some unknown tongue to the rest of the world. It's languages we'll discover in just a few verses that is of the people that are gathered all around them. It's of known languages that the apostles don't know, but other men know. Native tongues that the people who have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost know and speak with. I always picture it like being one big fire appears in the room and it breaks apart into twelve small flames that look like tongues and rests upon each of the disciples, each of the apostles. It breaks up over them. This huge fire splitting up to rest upon them. And also they begin speaking in the Spirit and speaking in other tongues, other languages, and they rush out to the outside and there's all these people gathered around them. They're like, what is going on? This mighty rushing wind, this loud, violent noise we've heard. And so we've gone to where we think it happened. And what do they hear? They hear their own languages being spoken. They hear all kinds of languages being spoken from the apostles. And they're amazed and astonished. And are like, aren't these just a bunch of Galileans, uneducated boatmen? Just a bunch of backwoods hicks? And yet, I hear my language perfectly coming out of this. They speak in the languages of the people. And what do they hear from them? They hear the mighty works of God in their own tongues. The people do not hear utter confusion, but they hear the mighty works of God declared. They hear their native tongues declaring what God has done. And they are shocked and surprised at this moment. It's the reversal of Sinai. Or the reversal of Babel. At Babel, the languages were confused and no one could understand what was going on anymore. And so the people spread out across the face of the earth. And here God takes many languages, but brings clarity. He doesn't bring confusion with multiple languages, but brings clarity for He guides His apostles to speak one message in various tongues. He guides them to declare the mighty works of God, what He has accomplished in Jesus Christ. And out of that one flame, many tongues of fire have come to rest on the apostles. And out of that many tongues of fire, only one message, that of the salvation of Christ alone. God declares what He has accomplished here. And of course, all of that draws our minds to the fires that came down on Sinai at the giving of the covenant. That first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, where God declares that He is 
the God of His people. And they are His people now. There, that fire that comes down on the apostles, He declares that He is about to set forward a new covenant. That He is going to bring out a new covenant that is being fulfilled by the pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh, on all kinds of people, and all the people gathered there, the Spirit is poured out. That sons and daughters and young men shall prophesy and see visions. That old men shall dream dreams. Male and female servants will receive the very Spirit Himself upon them and into them. And with that, the law, the true law, is written upon the hearts of men and women to bring salvation, to turn our hearts from our wicked ways, to turn them to Jesus, to rest in Jesus, to find in Jesus the reality of who He is. And all of that boils together and comes together on Pentecost Sunday, that first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. The Spirit is poured out because that's what God had planned. He had planted it in the hearts and minds of the people for 1,500 years. This idea of the Spirit coming. Of the people bringing first fruits into the temple. The first fruits of wheat with new leaven. And here God pours out His Holy Spirit upon His people, upon His church. And so God reverses the picture in a way. And the Pentecost and the Jewish festivals, they bring something to God. They bring new bread with new leaven to offer it to the Lord as a representation of the whole field that belongs to God. To make that whole field holy before the Lord. But here God flips the picture to where instead of the people bringing new leaven, God pours out new leaven. He pours out a new spirit upon His people. He brings forth the first fruits to us. Instead of us bringing first fruits to the Father, He brings first fruits to us to claim us, to renew us, to make us to be holy like He is holy. In Himself, He is perfectly holy, but He pours out His Holy Spirit to make us like Him, to make us like Jesus, to make us a people who will have right judgments, a people who will follow what He has called us to do, a people who will come to understand the reality of what Jesus has done for us and for all the world. And so that brings us back to what I said, that this is the great jubilee of the church. This is the great moment of salvation because of the first fruits that have been given. Because there's one other thing that happens in the Old Testament that relates to the number 50. And that is the great jubilee year. After seven years of seven Sabbaths, you have the great jubilee year where everything is free, where the slaves are free, where the ancient lands that have been sold in order to pay off debts are returned to their ancestral peoples. Where every tribe gets back all of its original land. And that happens in the 50th year. A celebration that was never properly observed in Israel. The end of Second Chronicles, I believe it is, says that they were cast into exile for the number of jubilees that they had refused to observe in order to give the land its full rest that it was supposed to have. And so the great jubilee has come. Actually, it was not the jubilees, it was the Sabbath rest, which relate to jubilee. The number of Sabbath rests and Sabbath years that had not been observed, not jubilees. But that would include jubilees as well. And jubilee is that great time of freedom, of salvation, of release. And here, the Holy Spirit is poured out to bring a great jubilee for us. 
for His church because we are released from our debts before God. When the Holy Spirit comes and applies the great work of Jesus upon our lives, Jesus accomplished the freedom from debt, but the Spirit is who applies that to us. Without the Spirit's application, we wouldn't receive it. The Spirit renews us that we would receive it. And the Spirit brings it to us. And so that great freedom from debt is brought and applied to us. The release from sin itself is brought and applied to us. And we find rest from all of our works now. Because Pentecost has come. Pentecost has brought the jubilee for the church. Because the first fruits have been received. In the giving of the Spirit. The Spirit was promised to be given to change the lives of God's people, to renew us and to bring us into the last days so that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what did the people there that evening, that first day of Pentecost do? They hear all of Peter's sermon and he points to them the reality that Jesus is the man who has accomplished the mighty works of God. But they delivered him to death. And crucified him. But God raised him up to be the Messiah. To be the ruler of all the peoples. And what did the people do? They have received and heard of the new leaven. The new yeast that God has brought down. They are struck with conviction. The new yeast begins working in them. The yeast of the Spirit and the yeast of salvation is working in them to turn them from their sinful ways, and they cry out, what shall we do? Hearing the great message from Paul, from Peter. And he tells them to repent and believe and be baptized, and the Spirit will be given to you with the forgiveness of sins. And so that brings us the new yeast, renewing the hearts of the men and women and children there, and calling them into the world of salvation, of new salvation, of new life, of the great jubilee for them to rest and to go forth, telling others of the first fruits of salvation that can be given through the Spirit, that will be given by the Spirit, that will be given by God the Father through Jesus in order to renew His people. And so that great jubilee opens up before all of us this day at Pentecost because God chose Pentecost because He wrote it into the very fabric and history of Israel itself. That as they brought that new bread with new leaven, He would bring new leaven with the Spirit. And as He brings all of that, He creates a jubilee of rest as we receive the guarantee of our salvation. That with the Holy Spirit coming to rest in us and changing us, we have that first fruits to rest in the jubilee that we are looking forward to fully and completely entering when Christ returns. And so may we find great rest in this Pentecost. Great rest in the pouring out of the Spirit upon the church and upon each of us. And let us go forth making right judgments and resting in the comfort and the joy of the Holy Spirit in us to do all that God has called us to do on the path that He has set us upon in this great jubilee of firstfruits. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.